0: Welcome to It's Your Community with Vanessa Denha, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to It's Your Community. I'm Vanessa Denha Garmo here. Joining me now is a New York best-selling author who helped write the story My Merrill with Terry Carger. She was one of the living persons who intimately knew Marilyn Monroe and Ronald Reagan. And this is a personal look into Marilyn Monroe's life beyond the stage, as told by a friend of 14 years. To talk with us about that is the New York Times bestselling author, Jay Margolis. Jay, how are you?
1: Good. How are you doing, Vanessa? Good.
0: Thanks for joining us here on It's Your Community and, and sharing this story. I mean, many, many years after her death, people are still intrigued with Marilyn Monroe. In fact, so many people, I'm sure, will read the book were probably not alive, Jay, when she was alive.
1: Exactly. That's what's so special about Terry's story is that she's one of the living uh, people that actually knew her before she was famous. You see, 14 years is longer than she knew any of her three husbands. That's pretty amazing.
0: <laughs> what a great, That's a great way to put that in perspective, Jay. So what <laughs> intrigued you to want to write this book with Terry Carger?
1: I was doing an investigation into my second book, which became a New York Times bestseller, The Murder of Marilyn Monroe Case Closed. I called mm-hmm. up Terry. She was just one of many interviews, like uh, Jane Russell that I called up. And uh, at first, she just was kind of hesitant. She's like, I don't know. I don't want people thinking I'm going to profit off of Marilyn Monroe because that's not really my whole deal. And uh, she said, I I don't know if I want to write a book for that reason. And I said, Well, why don't you talk to your stepbrother, Michael Reagan, you know, the son of President Reagan? Uh And uh, she said, Okay, I'll talk to Michael. And, And Michael says, Well, maybe you should write the book, Terry. You want people to know who the real Marilyn Monroe is, not just the sex symbol. you know, the, the the person behind the mask. And yeah. so she said, I, I'd like to do that. And uh, she changed her mind and she said, hey, Jay, let's write this book together.
0: So what was your first impression? I mean, you've obviously knew her from working in another book. But what was your first impression of Terry and the stories that she shared with you about the book, for the book, rather?
1: My, my first impression was this woman was immediately credible. And it was like a breath of fresh air in the whole literature of Marilyn Monroe. Because this was, these were stories that have never been told before. It was often commonly perceived that because, you know, Marilyn, when, when Marilyn was seven, her mother was institutionalized, and that her she never knew her father, who through DNA evidence um, was Charles Stanley Gifford. And she did try to reach out to him, by the way. So she knew who her dad was, but the DNA evidence a few years ago confirmed that. And so people thought, oh, well, maybe she doesn't have a family, you know. But this book actually disproves that notion, and, and they adopted her, the Carger family, uh, especially uh, Terry's grandmother, Nana, who was born mm-hmm. to Ann Connelly, uh, adopted Marilyn for 14 years, beginning in 1948 until Marilyn died in 1962.
0: So, so tell us how you um, put this book together, the challenges you faced in terms of the chronolo- chronology um, and the the events that you organized in the book.
1: Oh, this was the really good thing. I told Terry, I said, look, you know, you got all these beautiful stories But, you know, it needs to be relative to something. You know, a lot of people know what Marilyn's story is already in a basic sense, you know, all the plot markers, so to speak. And, you know, so we just said, well, we want to kind of make it relative to her filmography and when she was famous, before she was famous, so that when you start to put in the little stories, you could people see what it is relative to. They say, oh, this story happened in 1956 during bus stop. They say, oh, this story happened over here when she was doing the misfits or, you know, and so it would become relative to something people could picture it in their mind and more visualization, so to speak, that would make it much easier to tell this story.
0: That, that's a great perspective, Jay, to go that route, because you're okay. right, I think it would be hard for the reader to kind of um, uh, feel connected to it if they couldn't relate it to her her famous life, her public life. So that's a, that was a great perspective. What When you went around writing this and talking to Terry, Jay, was there anything that kind of shocked you and surprised you and you're like, wow, I can't believe that?
1: Well, you know, I always knew that Marilyn was murdered, but it did shock me that, uh, you know, Terry's uh, mother, Patty, who was an entertainment lawyer in about starting in 1952 for people like Cary Grant and uh, Bing Crosby, you know, the stars, um, even Leon Shamroy, who did Marilyn's first screen test. um, It shocked me that Patty, who was uh, actually a best friend of Marilyn, along with, uh, you know, Terry's father, Fred's sister, Mary they were called the devil's trio, you know, Marilyn, Patty and Mary, and what shocked me was the fact that uh Patty actually believed that Marilyn was murdered and and that mm. there was a government conspiracy. She told some friends afterwards and she was nearly run off the road and she thought that the two events were connected. So I thought that was kind of, you know, interesting. I was shocked me because I didn't, you know, believe it was so extreme, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and you know, I also thought it was interesting how most Maryland biographies don't talk about the mischievous side of Maryland and this devilish trio that I speak of. You know, Patty, Mary, and Maryland. Uh-huh. They would go around taking like a cardboard cutout of uh you know Marilyn from the 7 year itch and they put it on Jane Wyman's lawn because you know Fred had later married uh, Jane Wyman and as we all know if you read Marilyn's autobiography Fred was uh, Marilyn's first true love even though she had been married to her first husband Jim Doherty and so you know it was kind of a little joke that Marilyn's playing on Jane Wyman I'm sure she didn't find it very funny to see that cardboard cut out of the 7 year itch there
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Jay what what intrigued you to Marilyn herself like you, as a writer, you're a, you know you're an award-winning writer. Why her? What was about her that intrigued you?
1: When I went to borders when they had borders bookstores, they don't have them anymore. But I walked in there in Santa Monica. And I grabbed a book by George Barris that said Marilyn, uh, her life in her own words. And and I said to myself, Wow, this is an interesting book written by the last professional photographer of Marilyn. His name was George Barris, and I knew him very well. And he he wrote in the book, he said, I will always believe that Marilyn was murdered because you know the day before she died, uh, you know she made me promise to come out from New York to California. It was really really important. Please come out, George. So why would she kill herself the next day? Yeah. I mean, not that's in the fact that she had been rehired for a million dollar two picture deal. That doesn't sound like a great reason to go kill yourself, especially since the Life Magazine article came out on August 3rd, the day before, and it was with Richard Merriman. And it was such a pleasant article. Marilyn was so happy. She called up all her friends, you know, to say how wonderful this is. And she's going to commit suicide the next day. I don't think so.
0: Yeah. Speaking of photos, how did you go about including the photos you did to enhance the story and how do, how do you believe the photos enhance the story?
1: Oh, I think the photos enhance the story. We as I said before, we put it in a chronological way. Yeah, and we uh, so that people can find how this is relative to everything. And it was to show how comfortable Marilyn was with this family. You see, this family was already had famous relatives in it. and 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 so they weren't impressed by fame. And so Marilyn was very comfortable being around people who weren't going to, you know, go sell her autograph somewhere, who weren't going to go do crazy things that people who get, you know, really into famous people do. And so the fact that this family treated her like like a normal person when she was already becoming famous and going back to normal was not really going to become a reality, she appreciated that. And Mm -hmm. she knew. This was like a family that you could uh, let your hair down. You could uh, just be fun and laugh and not take things too seriously. And she yeah. had a really good time, as you could see with those photos. She's smiling and you could see how comfortable she is with this family.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell me, um, in, in terms of her murder, you know, a lot of people believe she was murdered. Right. Do you address why they believe she was murdered? Do you go into that whole... I know it was, you know, a lot of people call it a conspiracy, but do you you get, do you dive deep into that, into the book?
1: Yes. In the last two chapters, chapters 21 and 22, uh, chapters 21, we discuss, you know, who believed that um, Marilyn was murdered. And also in chapter 22, I talk about what I mentioned before, where Terry's mother believed that, um, Terry's mother, Patty, believed that Marilyn was murdered. And I also talk about how uh, Terry's cousin, um, Ben, thinks that the whole thing was a cover up. And he says, I hope the guy who did it rots in hell. You know, So it's pretty clear that they believe it was a murder, and uh, Terry herself says, I never believe she committed suicide, and until you could rule out accident by the Thomas Noguchi, the coroner, uh, he said that the, the reason this case is not an accident is because the toxicology reports came back with her having enough drugs in her blood to kill three people, but there was not one undissolved capsule in her stomach, which means it had to have been a murder. And that's, that's what Thomas Noguchi told two people in private. He told Jane Mansfield's press secretary, Raymond Strait, and uh, Marilyn's last professional photographer, George Barris. Uh, Noguchi told uh, Caroline Barris, Mr. Barris' daughter, that yes, I always believed it was a murder. It was never a suicide. They made me say it was a suicide, it was a cover up. You know, if she really committed suicide, she, there'd be um, undissolved capsules in her stomach, which there wasn't. And the equivalent of drugs, to, to put this in perspective, in her blood, and I don't say in her stomach, but in her blood, was the equivalent of 64 pills. And you 47 nebutals and 17 chlorohydrates. That's the equivalent that she had in her blood. But, you know, if, if you're going to have 64 pills, why, why aren't they in the stomach?
0: <laughs> so how do they get there? Like, are they, like, um, how do they, injection? They believe it, they injected the medicine in her, like, veins?
1: and enema you see there was a purplish discoloration of her colon uh, then deputy district attorney john Miner, who oversaw wow. the autopsy with noguchi he said that this woman was murdered that there was uh, by drug enema in fact that's how she was made unconscious. okay um the drugs were nebutal and chloride were put into the colon in order to make her unconscious you see uh the housekeeper And uh, the handyman, Norman Jeffries, who was the son-in-law of the housekeeper, Norman Jeffries, he said that Bobby Kennedy and these two men who are later identified as Detective James Ahern and Archie Case, they kicked, um, you know, Norm Jeffries and Mrs. Murray out of the house. They went next door to Mary W. Goody Coons-Barnes' house, who also saw Bobby Kennedy and the two men. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they made her unconscious with the enema. When they left, Mrs. Murray came back. She heard the dog barking, Maff. Maff was barking. And, the, and she responsibly called the ambulance, according to Norman Jeffries. And I spoke with Schaefer Ambulance attendants, who confirmed that James Hall and Murray Leibowitz went there. And what happened was at this point, you know, they put a resuscitator on Marilyn Her colors coming back. And then all of a sudden, James Hall, one of the attendants says uh, that that this uh, guy in a business suit walks in and says, I'm her doctor. Give her positive pressure. So then he pulls out a hypodermic syringe, fills it with a brownish fluid and then injects it into her heart. And then then a minute later says, I'm going to pronounce her dead. You can leave. At first, he thought it was adrenaline, but brownish fluid is not adrenaline. And 1982, Mm. James Hall realized That the stomach was empty and he says, well, what did I just see? Did I see an adrenaline shot or did I see her get murdered? And so he started to question what he saw. That's why he didn't make a big deal about it at the time. Mm. And That's what's so crazy about it. If you want to know who corroborates this, it's not just the two attendants. Peter Lawford, who was Robert Kennedy's brother-in-law, made a statement before he died and he said, Marilyn has got to be silenced, Bobby told Greenson, or words to that effect. Greenson had thus been set up by Bobby to take care of Marilyn. Apparently, this doctor who said I'm her doctor was Marilyn's psychiatrist, Dr. Ralph Greenson. And so Peter Lawford and the two attendants say that Greenson murdered her.
0: Wow. That's, <laughs> wow, that's pretty in-depth. Do do, when they say Marilyn has to be silenced, in your research, Jay, did you ever figure out why?
1: Yes. In fact, uh, according to Peter Lawford, in the same interview, he explained it. He said that uh, Bobby Kennedy called up the good doctor, Dr. Greenson, and said, hey, look, Greenson, not only is Marilyn going to go public with the affairs with me and Jack on Monday morning, she's going to go public with you too. You see, he found out that... uh, that Greenson and um, Marilyn were having an affair, and and Bobby used that against Greenson to get him to kill Marilyn. You see, Marilyn had no intention of going public with the affair with her psychiatrist, but mm-hmm. Bobby made him think so. And that's the, the lie that got him to do it. And so he tricked him to get him to do it. In fact, the three of them were pulled over. Peter Lawford was driving drunk on the Olympic and Robertson Boulevard 20 minutes after Greenson injected her. Greenson's in the front seat and Bobby Kennedy's in the back seat and Detective Lynn Franklin pulls them over for speeding and with their headlights off and he says, uh, Pete, what, what are you doing? And Peter Lawford says, I got to get the Attorney General over here out of town. He's got to take a plane to get back to San Francisco. And, you know, because he was supposed to be in San Francisco the whole time, but apparently a lot of police sources had spotted him in Los Angeles. And so you got these three guys seven miles from the crime scene, 20 minutes after it happens. I mean, it's like they're caught red-handed, you know, it's pretty wow. obvious. Yeah. It.
0: How long did it take you to do this research and dive deep into this?
1: I just, um, first I, what I did was I read all the Maryland books to see what I had to, you know, follow up on. And then I yeah. started doing my own research and interviewing people myself and that's when I started to get you know stuff that nobody else had gotten, and in fact, there's a CIA document in in our uh, in, in Terry's book that I put there in order to explain all this, and it's dated one day before she died, and it says that she was going to hold a quote unquote press conference, she was going to uh, uh, reveal what's in her quote unquote diary of secrets, and she was going to tell all, and she was going to uh, reveal the bases in Cuba and the president's secret plot to kill Castro. They couldn't have her running around, you know, uh, spreading national security secrets. So she had to be silenced. And Bobby thought quick, tricked the psychiatrist and got him to do it. At least Bobby didn't have his hands, you know, on top of it. He just delegated it. And uh, that was how he did it.
0: What What are you hoping, uh, Jay Margolis, who co-wrote this book, um, My Merrill with Terry Carger, her longtime friend, um, what are you hoping the reader will take away from the book?
1: I'm hoping that people will know that Marilyn was a very intelligent woman. In fact, we put nothing but rare quotes that have never been quoted in any other Marilyn book in here, especially from True Experiences, on uh, May 1950. Like if you were to get a copy, it's like about $500 to $1,000 to buy a copy of that. And uh, it's really hard to find. Um, but it, it has these quotes about Marilyn that are just very lovely and wonderful. And there's, all, there's also this other... Um, quotation, uh, which is towards the end of the book, which really just talks about how it's not just about beauty that she looks for in a person. She looks for the spiritual, you know, element of somebody. She said muscles only uh, go, go for, uh, you know, are, are up to a point, do I believe in, in good looking muscles, but I I need the spiritual side of a person in order to really attract me. And I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's a great, that's great commentary. And And Jay, you know, do you see the book Or when you approached the book, did you see it as an inspirational story or a cautionary tale? I mean, what was your perspective on the the book itself?
1: Well, during the time that Marilyn was living and before she got involved with the Kennedy brothers, I I thought it was an inspirational story. And Terry makes a note of this, too, where she says, well, look, you know, this woman came from nothing and she became someone and people were tearing her down every step of the way And yet she became the most famous woman in the world regardless. You know, she just kept pushing and pushing. And that's what the first chapter is called an indestructible drive to succeed. You better believe it. You know, she just kept going, you know, and and then she says, I admire someone who can keep doing that and then get to what they wanted to do. And then when she had it, she kind of had a little bit of reservations. She's like, well, you know, I I do kind of wish that I could go back to being a normal person. And she told us to Terry during one of their last conversations at the Beverly Hills Hotel where she just, I, she said, I like people, you know, um, uh, you know, f- like being attracted to me and wanting to take my picture, but sometimes I wish people could just leave me alone, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, do you, Jay, do you think in your perspective and what you know today and all the research you've done in Marilyn Monroe, do you think that the public persona is completely opposite of what her personal life was really like?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that was the the thing that really irritated Marilyn was she said, well, isn't it kind of silly if people believed you were how you acted in movies? You know, it's like, I was just acting, you know, I'm not really blonde. Yeah. (laughs) And she just felt um, irritated that studios wanted her to keep making those movies because it would perpetuate this myth. And she was really a smart person who had like over 400 books in her library when she died. She was always wow. super intelligence and she was no dumb blonde. And, you know, Terry said that uh, even though she didn't graduate high school because she had married her 21-year-old neighbor uh, two weeks after she turned 16, the reason that Marilyn did that was because she didn't want to go back to the orphanage. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like an arranged marriage, so to speak. It was kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. So Jay Olis is who we're talking to here on Intercommunity. Community. He wrote the book with Terry Carger about my Merrill. How do we get the book?
1: You can get it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. And uh, you can uh, also go to my Instagram, Marilyn Murdered. That's a uh, murder and then E.D. at the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got 11,000 followers and boy, George follows me and he's a big <laughs> Marilyn fan.
0: <laughs> so uh, Michael Reagan um, a for, uh, wrote the forward in the book. And, you know, elaborate a little bit more for me, Jay, on the importance of sharing those relationships with prominent figures in the book and not just focusing on Maryland this time around.
1: I wanted people to know what the relationship was uh, between the between Ronald Reagan and Terry, and that when Terry was 11 years old, her father, Fred Carter, who was a musical composer at uh, Columbia Pictures, married Academy Award-winning actress Jane Wyman. And at that point, she had been recently divorced from Ronald Reagan. So Michael and Maureen Reagan became Terry's stepbrother and stepsister. And so mm. up until this day, you know, Michael... And his family still hang out with Terry and her husband, and uh, Michael and uh, Terry's husband play golf together. They go on trips because Colleen is a travel agent, so she gets special deals, and they like to go traveling to Asia or just the Caribbean, and it's it's very fun that they uh, they're still connected after all these years. It's you know that started when Terry was eleven and Michael was seven. In fact, uh, Michael met Marilyn Monroe and people say, well, when did you know there was a God, Michael? And he said, well, Marilyn Monroe, um, you know, went up was on my doorstep. (laughs) And (laughs) it was really funny because Jane Wyman was having a birthday party and because uh, she, uh, Marilyn knew Nana, it was okay for her to show up and uh, Michael's jaw was just on the ground and, and he said that she was the most beautiful thing they'd ever seen. And so, uh, this was interesting how there's even a connection between Michael Reagan and Marilyn, even though it was a very young age.
0: Yeah. So what's next for you, Jay, more stories, more photos of Marilyn? What, what do you plan? I mean, is this where it ends for you when it comes to Marilyn Monroe, or do you see more writing in, in your future about her?
1: Well, we could, uh, you know, check out the, there's this guy, Alan Abbott, who was the pallbearer to Marilyn. He had, a um, hair that he cut off of her, uh, cut off of her, and he took it, and he's been selling it online ever since. That's how we found the DNA that connected Charles Stanley Gifford, her father, to Maryland through that hair. We could also use that hair to determine if there's other paralyzing poisons that weren't mentioned in the autopsy. To effectively say yes, this was a homicide, and change her, you know, uh, her her coroner's report. And so, but that's about it for me on Marilyn. I like to, um, I'm doing the Robert Kennedy assassination right now. I'm writing two books on that. The first one is just by myself on who really killed Robert Kennedy. And I'm also uh, doing a second book with Scott Enyart, who was um, 15 years old at the time of the Robert Kennedy assassination. He was taking pictures as Robert Kennedy was being shot. And this woman named Joan Barr said to the police, hey, that kid was taking pictures. They went after him and took his pictures away. And then they didn't give him back to him. And then in 1996, he sued the city of Los Angeles, and they gave him a $650,000 judgment. They reversed some of that judgment on appeal, accusing the jury of anti-police bias. But that was just a bunch of nonsense. You know, the city just didn't want to look like the big loser in that case.
0: Yeah. Jay Margolis, what else would you like to share with our listeners here on It's Your Community about My Merrill and the work that you do as an award-winning writer, New York Times bestselling author? What else do you want to share with our listeners here?
1: I just like to share that, you know, out of all the Marilyn books you'll ever read, this one is probably going to be the most engaging because it's something that you've never read before. And if you really want to know who Marilyn was, you must read about the family that truly adopted her for 14 years. And these people really knew her. She wasn't a dumb blonde. She strove to be as intelligent as she could possibly be. You know, she told, uh, you know, Terry that, um, you know, looks will get you far. But not as far as a good education, and I thought that was a very, very powerful quote because mm. it goes it, it to show, you know, that yes, you can be beautiful, but you're going to get a lot further if you really up that education.
0: Mm. Wow, Jay, have you always been like a history buff or Hollywood history buff? Or
1: I, um, you know, graduated from the University of Southern California a year early because I took ten classes my last two semesters. And I um, got all ten A's, no A minuses this time. That was my lowest grade at USC was an A minus. They didn't, <laughs> they don't have A pluses, but you know. <laughs> so I became a Jesse Unruh Research Scholar for writing a paper on African American reparations, and that's when I developed this acuity for research. And I just felt that you know, the Marilyn Monroe case was unresolved, and I, and I wanted to resolve that, and that's how I delved into it.
0: Good for you, Jay Markolis. Thank you so much for joining us here on Community and sharing. The Marilyn Monroe story with us from oh. my Merrill.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Any questions, comments, show topics you want me to get to, you can go to Epiphany Communications and Coaching. You can email me there or go to any of my social media platforms, including LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Epiphany Communications and Coaching on Facebook. You could follow me, Vanessa Denhagarmo. As always, we remind you to connect, communicate, and to collaborate with your community. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time here. AND IT'S YOUR COMMUNITY. IT'S YOUR COMMUNITY. A PUBLIC AFFAIRS PRESENTATION OF NEWS TALK 760 WJR.